following podcast is brought to you on behalf of the Saracen Supporters Association and is not an official product of Saracens Limited. Content provided voluntarily by our guests and contributors are of their own opinion, which may change over time and should not be taken as fact, particularly as the podcast hosts are regularly talking drivel anyway. If you've got some drivel of your own you'd like to share, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at fezcast underscore SSA. You can search Facebook for the Fezcast or you can email fezcast.ssa at outlook.com. Well, welcome to our next edition of the FezCast. I have no idea what episode number this is. I suppose I could look it up, but I can't be bothered. Um, (laughs) Suffice it to say, it's uh, number 746 or something like that this season. Um, But I'm joined tonight. This is Jez, obviously. I'm joined by Sam and John to run the rule over everything that's happening in uh, the world of Saracens and the world of rugby in general. But as I say, I'm joined by John and Sam. John, we won't mention the football. Obviously, you being a, a spud and uh, having um, been beaten by the Gooners at your place uh, today, that's not a good thing for you, is it, John? Well, we can talk about West Ham, if you like. I know. No, no, no. We're just, we're just West Ham <laughs> for the best stadium in the championship. That's what we're going for. But <laughs> And um, Sam, you're suffering with a bit of a hangover today. Yeah, it seems to be a running theme whenever I'm on the podcast that I've got a bit of a uh, a Saracens related hangover. Yeah, but uh, I, I'm a I'm a big boy. I'll get through it. <laughs> yeah, I, well, you know, we'll, we'll we'll send you a medal down at the end of the season or something. You know, <laughs> most you. most of it, most most of the lucid comments whilst drunk. I mean, fair dues. Yeah, that's all all hangover. That's fair dues. Well, look. <laughs> We, uh, I, I mentioned at the start of the show, the one thing we do have to talk about this week's big news was um, Owen Farrell's um, banning, his citing, his banning. You guys discussed it last week, or you were on last week, Sam. I mean, I think we're all in agreement. Yeah, fair dues. It's a red, you know, should have been dealt with on the pitch at the time. It wasn't, you know, that's something for the RFU and the referees to take up with Carl Dixon and, and deal with him effectively and reward him with a Six Nations game. Yeah, <laughs> I don't mean, know how that works out. One will work, one will never work out. But yeah, I mean, he's gone to the signing commission. They turned around, they gave him six weeks, reduced it on good behaviour, or, you know, because he said sorry, which I do have an issue with, you know, not just because it's Owen, whoever it would be. Down to four weeks, go to tackle school, three weeks, bang. Totally appropriate and pretty consistent with the precedent that's been set before it. Am I right? Well, I mean, I actually said last week I didn't actually think it was a red card. Um, and I do stand by that. I, I still think there was enough there that it could have been a yellow. I mean, the words I said were, I wouldn't be surprised if he's given a red. But my humble opinion, it looks more yellow than, than red. But it's been given as a red. Um, but yeah, as as per usual, I think it's not necessarily what, what's happened. It's the it's all the reaction, isn't it? It's, it's the, it's the anti-Owen Farrell brigade and... I was actually talking to a Gloucester fan last last week. Uh, they were sitting behind us, and um, and one of them actually said that they thought Owen Farrell was the best player in the world. And I said, "Yeah, I agree. I think he's one of, if not the best, at the moment." He had an average game last week, but I don't. I think England fans are not going to realise how much how important Owen Farrell is to England, and and what an incredible player he is, and and how lucky we are to have him until he's not around anymore. Um, that's when we're going to see the gaping hole. That, that he that he will leave, and I just I just I don't get it. You know why does everyone hate him so much? He's such a class act on and off the pitch, and um, yeah, I, as a Saracens fan, you know he's part of the family. It's it's 
it's sad to see a lot of it. Well, indeed, I think you're right there, Sam. And I mean, yeah, okay, we know the Saracens, we're the Millwall, aren't we, of, of rugby almost, you know, nobody loves us and we don't care. But, you know, I, I mean, the bigger question, I, I said at the start that the ban was um, completely appropriate and consistent. But then, actually, when you think about it, I think Owen's been treated a lot more, or oh, not a lot more harshly, but more harshly than an awful lot of other players. And we'll we'll bring out here, John, Adam Coleman, London Irish. Three reds, OK, one was rescinded. But still, you know, he's put himself in a position three times in 12 months against us, against the same team. And yet he gets a week less than Owen Farrell. And, you know, you sit there and everybody turns around and says, Owen Farrell's got a history of this or whatever. No, I mean, you mentioned it last week, Sam, and I, I spent most of the week, I've got it, I've got it copy and paste it now. I've got it in a Word document, my answer. He's played 300-plus games. He's made, in a 14-year career, he's made 2,500 um, tackles in that time, of which perhaps 20 have had a question. That's less than 1%. He hasn't got a problem. He's a player who makes the odd mistake. We all do it. I've, I've ordered many spare parts at work. You know, I'm sure you do, John, at work. You've made the odd mistake. It's ridiculous, isn't it, mate? It's, it's, it obviously comes with the territory. Being what he is for club and country, he's there. He's up there to be shot at. I get it. Don't get me wrong. I understand people's... Um, I probably wouldn't like him if he didn't play for Saracens, to be perfectly honest. He, does, he doesn't come across as... Although he is a lovely man and he's, he's, you know, he's stopped for a photo and an autograph with my son and that before. I understand it, but it, it all boils down from... It's jealousy, mate. Every other club in the world would like him in their team and they can't have him. Therefore they're jealous of it. And he's, if he didn't play for us, mate, it, it probably wouldn't be so bad. If you think about like you just mentioned that Coleman there, I know it shouldn't matter the re- what, what happens to the player that gets tackled. I thought Tom Wollstonecroft was going to end up on life support. I see that tackle that in the most recent of his red cards. And you think, you know, there's, there's levels to this, to, to the hate that players get and he's right at the top because of who he is who he plays for and and like Sam said until he's gone no one appreciate him well he also I mean the, the, sorry Sam carry on well, I was just going to say to John's John mentioned in there you know he, he, he's a good he's a good guy and, you know you see him after all the games he's taking pictures with the kids and all that kind of stuff and it is actually amazing you go to I go to, go to quite a few away games now and the the fans of the home team when he's walking around, when him, Itoji, and, and you know the other one, all, you know our, our big, big guys that, that everyone wants to shoot down behind the behind the safety of a keyboard, they're they're right at the very front, clamouring for an autograph and a and a selfie with him, and he stands there and he does it, um, and that's that's what's amazing as well. You know, it's just just yeah, mind boggling. Absolutely, I mean, I think the big problem is, and I mean, there is a lot of whinging on and on and on. Um, Matt put out a Twitter poll, and he sent me the results of it. And actually, you know, when you speak to people who are sensible about things, 60% thought the ban was reasonable, 16% thought it was too lenient, 14% were too harsh, and 10% pressed the mickey-taking nosy button. But, you know, it's, it is entirely fine what he's got. You know, he's been punished. The, the whole thing is, this is this is the interesting thing, right? Okay, I've always said this. Rugby is a game in which cheating is accepted. It's accepted in rugby more than any other game in the world. And I, I, I might have mentioned this in the past, but I played back row. And my job was to do nefarious things on the floor. If I, it's the old Josh Cronfeld thing. You know, Josh Cronfeld didn't wear a scrum cap because he 
fractured his skull. He wore a scrum cap so he could put his bloody head on the ball and stop it coming out. Wayne Shelford put his testicles on the ball to stop it coming out and a guy sliced open. You know, that's what you do. The difference is when the referee blows the whistle and goes, that's a penalty, you get up, you look at him and you think in the back of your head, well, you got that one wrong, mate, but you accept it, you go back 10 yards. It's exactly the same when Saracens got done for the salary cup. They made a decision. They said you've been wrong. This is your punishment. And then nobody accepted it. It's like turning around and then saying, well, why why hasn't he been yellow carded for stopping the ball coming out? And it's exactly the same situation here. We've gone to a, to a tribunal. They've turned around and said, this is why we're doing it. The game of rugby respects the decisions that's made on the field. So respect the decisions that are made off the field. It really is quite simple. But, <laughs> and I say a big but, I have an issue with the disciplinary system, okay? Because the way that rugby works is that you've got a, you've got a, a set amount of time for what an offence is. So this offence, six weeks, mid-range entry, six weeks. They then find reasons to reduce it, which leaves it open to people turn around and saying, well, he's getting preferential treatment or this, that or the other. The one change, and I wrote this to uh, Debbie Knight on her Talking Rugby blog and everything like that. I wrote an article about this when Chris Ashton was getting sent off of fun. The way that disciplinary should work is if you get a red card, you get an automatic two-week ban, all right? Regardless of the offence, I mean, you could have shot the bloke on the field. It's a two-week ban, yeah? You go to tribunal and you decide, is it a red or not? If it's not a red, fair dues, you're free to play next week. If it is a red, right, okay, is there any reason this two-week ban should be made longer? And you don't take into account the fact he's turned up in a tie a suit and tie and said, I'm really sorry, didn't mean to do it, Governor. Doesn't matter, you did it. And th- and that's how it should be. And then you don't have those issues. And, okay, so the other case would be, well, why did Owen Farrell only get three weeks when Adam Coleman got four weeks or whatever it may be? But every red card, two-week ban, and you find ways to increase it. And I'll give that to the RFU and to World Rugby and to the IRB and everything, and I'll give them to that for free. But, I mean, I'm, gents, what do you think? whole system is a complete... It's been made into a farce by the RFU of, who obviously handed down the punishment in the first place by writing to Saracens to say that Owen Farrell is available to play for Saracens against Bristol on the 28th of January, a week before the Scotland game. So therefore, his, his band is then spent before the start of the Six Nations. Owen Farrell's been an England player for 11 years. Not once has he been available for selection a week before the Six Nations opener. So now you've got the, the body that are are handing down the, the sentence, the punishment, and then because it benefits them, or maybe there's a twist in the tail, maybe he's available to play because he ain't going to get picked for the Six Nations. Who knows? The one thing, you're right. I mean, the RFU, in typical Alicadu, shamateurism, he's been on the port and cheese board for most of the afternoon style. They have they have opened themselves up for criticism. What annoys me is that criticism is then directed at Saracens and Owen Farrell as if it's their fault. I mean, I, I just don't understand it. I mean, what, do, what Owen going to turn around and say? No, no, don't pick me for the Scotland game because I should be serving a ban. He's not going to say that. Well, he want you know, he's a proud Englishman who wants to play. You know, but if they did turn around and say you're not going to play against Scotland because this ban, he'd accept it and get on with it. Which brings me on to my last point about the whole disciplinary thing. Yesterday, we saw Henry Slade get sent off for Exeter Chiefs. Yeah, it 
on the face of it, and a lot of people are saying it was a soft red. However, by the letter of the law, it was a red because it involved head contact. And I know, son, that you're going to turn around and say, you know, there should be mitigation. My viewpoint is, if if it's black and white, if a head gets contacted, regardless of where it started from or whatever, it's a red card. And that's what the law says, head contact equals red card. Then you've got nowhere to go. The difference is, Owen Farrell got sent off. There's not been a single player from um, Saracens go on social media, make any comment about it. They've alluded to it. Elliot Dady alluded it to it in his in his interview after the game yesterday. But we've not moaned about it. We just accepted it. That's one of those things. It's the game of rugby. These things happen. Players will get sent off. Just accepted it. Luke and Dicky today turn round gives it rugby's gone soft or something on Twitter. I'm sorry, you know. Exeter Chiefs are kind of put up on a pedestal of being, you know, this great club and everything. They are some of the one that they're tackling is the worst in the league. They are coached to tackle illegally. And thankfully, right now, yes, they picked up on Harry Williams with a no arm ankle tackle. One day, someone's going to have their ankles broken, or an Exeter Chiefs player is going to seriously injure themselves going into there, and then they're going to have a problem. That's number one. And number two, when it goes against them, Exeter Chiefs wins like anything, and it's unedifying. Yeah, I, I'm. I mean, look, I'm not the biggest Exeter Chiefs fan um, in the world, but mildly. Um, but yeah, they. It is weird. I mean, look, we're, we're, we're potentially biased because of how much we love our club. But I mean, I mean, I am consistently immensely proud of how we react and how we conduct ourselves. You know, actually, during the whole course of the. You know, the, the, the salary um, cap scenario and the relegation, I think the club handled themselves just exceptionally well. And that has just continued. The players clearly know what is expected of them. So, you know, they are wearing the Saracens badge. They're, they're representing the club. And therefore, their conduct, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, ha, ha, you know, they, they, they are being told how they need to, to be going about this kind of stuff. And that's why you don't see Ben Earl jumping on Twitter talking about this. You don't see Owen Farrell going on his Facebook stories, you know, saying how, you know, the RFU have done him over or stuff like that. You just don't see it because the, the club know how to conduct themselves. A club like Exeter have, have quite simply haven't got a clue. They've, they haven't got any control over their players because they're obviously allowed to go and do whatever they want, say whatever they want, annoy whoever they want. And, um, and, it, and, it, and, it, and nothing happens. Um, I mean, even you've got to give a little bit of credit to to our um, to, Lon- to London's rugby club Harlequins, um, because at least when um, what's his face, Danny Care, the other week put something up on Twitter, clearly someone at the club said, "You better take that down, mate," and he did. Absolutely. Uh, I don't remember what it was that he actually said, but the club got involved and intervened and realised that it's an important thing. Extra, extra, clearly just don't don't give a monkeys and. Uh, and that's actually quite sad, isn't it, really? Because, you know, they, they should be um, dealing with those things a lot better. Well, I suppose you've got to take into account that the internet's only come down to that part of the world in the last five years, hasn't it? So, <laughs> You're listening to the Fezcast which is proudly sponsored by the Saracen Supporters Association. And I'm Alison Davis, one of the SSA committee. For a £10 annual subscription, the SSA provides our members with monthly newsletters, virtual and in-person player events, 
away match ticket allocations and we organise pre-match gatherings at away matches. We sponsor men's and women's players and we support the Saracens Foundation Track Club on behalf of our members. On top of all that, every year we have a seasonal SSA badge which is exclusive to members. Where else can you get that much value for a tenner? Join now at membermojo.co.uk forward slash SSA or come and see us on match day in the Oasis at the Stonex. This is the Fezcast. Back here with John and Sam. And first of all, a quick word after a big win against DMP the week before to then have a more competitive game against Chiefs and to come up short. Been an awful lot of um, talk on social media. And I saw Dave Loxham had um, posted a big thing, which actually, you know, it's got to be difficult for the girls coming off. A lot of them, you know, a lot of them were involved in that World Cup final and the disappointment of that and the intensity and to come back and only have your second game back playing against Chiefs who've been in fine form. We've got a score to settle from the final last year. You know, the season's not going perhaps as well as it has in the past, but I mean, that's, Good for the league, isn't it, surely, John? Yeah, I think so. I think that, as you touched upon the game last week against DMP, it was would have been more like a pre-season run-out for a lot of the girls that have just returned after international duty. But, yeah, listen, it, it's one of them. It's a, It weren't a great performance, weren't a great result. But give, give this, you know, this, this group is so good. We saw that last year. And give them time to become a little bit more cohesive and get, get into the rhythm of things. And listen, we saw glimpses yesterday. There was a couple of, of things that, I mean, I really liked. If you take uh, Holly Aitchison's uh, crossfield kick for Lottie Clapp to score and the way Leanne Infante charging down the, the, the conversion. Things, that they, they, they're, playing, they're playing all right. It's just it will click and then we will frighten teams in the league like they did last year. It's interesting, um, um, player you pull out there, Leanne. I mean, obviously, she's new to the team. and I mean, this is only a second performance. There's going to be an awful lot of these players who've been brought in who are internationals who haven't been part of the squad for quite some time. It's going to take them a few games to get into the scheme of things, isn't it, Sam? Yeah, of course. You know, um, whatever level you play at, the, the more you play with people, the better, the better you are. You know, and, and, and it's, it's quite simple. But I think... Uh, Going off of what a couple of couple of things you guys have said in terms of, you know, for the last I don't know what half a decade, it's almost been a bit of a two horse race. The um, the league with, with ourselves and Harlequins just being so dominant. So you know, it, it's it's good for the game that there's there's other teams um, that are coming up. You know, the the, the Gloucesters and the Exeters of this world. You know, it's making that step up. Yes, okay, last week was was as you say a bit of a training game. Um, and you know they're they're not going to be in the league next season, which m- might be might be for the best short term. And yeah, f- for me, the more competitive a league is, the more entertaining it becomes, and the wider audience it is therefore going to reach. I mean, you look at the the men's Premiership this this season. I mentioned it last week. It's incredibly competitive. Yes, okay, we've opened up a little bit of a gap at the top, but apart from that, um, you know, everyone. Well, I think everyone could beat everyone in the men's league, and if that can translate into the into the women's league, it becomes a better product, and as a result, it will it will aid the growth of the game. So I think it's it's you know as much as we want to win it every year, it's good for the game to have more teams in with a shout at, at some silverware. So I think it's it's only good. Yeah, absolutely, and actually, if you don't win a tournament in a year, as we saw when 
Saracens women got beaten by Quinns the year before last. It, it gives you a reset. It gives you a, a refocus. And, you know, you then either come back stronger or that there's a problem and you have to make some changes. And I think, you know, the coaching team led by Alex have definitely shown that when it's gone wrong in the past, they've come back from it. And I'm sure they'll do that again. <laughs> Hi, Alex Osterbury here, Director of Rugby for Saracens Women. You're listening to the Saracens Fezcast. This is the Fezcast. Let's move on to the European rugby, or say European rugby, European and South African rugby. Um, and let's have a talk about Saracens versus Leon, and very much a bit of a curious egg of a game, really. I mean, I, as I say, I was sat at home watching it on the sofa with the dogs, um, and you guys were at the game. I mean, I sat there. Normally, the dogs disappear because I get a bit irate at points during games, and they sort of go, oh, I like this when Daddy's shouting at people and everything. Um, but, I mean, first half, I mean, it was like cruise control, wasn't it? Uh, it was probably the best half of rugby I've seen Saracens play in a long time. And with Elliot Daly at the, the forefront, I mean... Jesus, how good was he? That that try he got for his hat trick, where he's he's in row four of the West Stand, I think it was, and he and, uh, and still manages to dot it down. Uh, I mean, how good was Elliot, John? Very impressive. A very uh, a timely reminder for the New England head coach that there's still a, still very much a player there, and the competition for for the shirts in, in as far as England goes is. It's, it's still right up there. There's some really, really good players in, in well, especially in our team. I think we could end up potentially losing about 11 players I've worked out. So, yeah, but Elliot was superb. But to be fair, he has been for, for consistently as well for some time. Even when he was he was being ignored before by Eddie Jones, he was turning out top performances week in, week out for us. And, you know, it's it, it benefited us, to be honest, as much as you want your players to go and get in at national recognition if he's not going to get picked. And he's still playing well for Saracens, so be it. But he was very good, as were pretty much everyone, I would say. There, there weren't anyone who played terribly. There was, And there's a few that really stuck their head above and, and played really well, in my opinion. Well, absolutely. I mean, first half, I mean, yeah. I mean, they put the game to bed, which is makes the second half understandable. Um, but also, I would imagine... This is an interesting one. I was always taught that when, when you coach teams, and when I coach teams... The time that you you bollock teams is not when they've lost, because they know when they've played badly. The time to throw the 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 hairdryer treatment out is when teams have won. And in this case, I think on full time, Mark McCall and and if they've come in today or they're coming in tomorrow, they will be sat down and they will be given the rounds of the kitchen sink because the second half wasn't good enough. And if you were playing a better team than Leon, and I'm not saying Leon on a bad side because they showed enough and then their fullback looks very good, I thought, and the outside centre was a bit special. I mean, he broke through some lines. We took, we'd earned the right to take the foot off the gas. We'd earned the right to protect a few players, giving in mind that Steve Borfitt was sat in the stands. And I'm sure Borfitt was giving Smalley some... uh, some daggers across and saying, look, you know, JB George, I don't want him on the pitch any longer. And, uh, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, second half, it wasn't good enough. And I'm sat there and I, and I, 
and I didn't get angry by it because I knew we'd had enough in the bank, but a better team would have would have would have exposed that lack of intensity in the second half, Sam. Yeah, I think the thing is, is is you you breed habits, don't you? And I think that what we don't want is for that to become something that we become used to. That you know, oh, if if we're twenty points up, we kind of just take our foot off the gas. If anything, you know, we in the past there have been times where we've been twenty points up, and that seems to even like sort of galvanised us to do to do even more damage. And I think that yesterday was a great example for us to actually send a massive message out to the rugby community. And I said this just before half time. I was sitting next to my dad, and I said. People are going to take note of it. If we have a similar second half, people are going to really take note of this uh, this result because it's an English team with the salary cap and all that kind of stuff. Yes, it's Saracens, but it's an English team giving a, a, a you know not not the necessarily the best French te- French team in the world, but a French team with all the resources that that league has got an absolute whooping. And that's what we should have been saying to ourselves at half time. This is this is a really great opportunity, guys, to be set, to send a message out to, to the rest of the competition, and we didn't do it. And that's, I think, what was so disappointing. We 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 allowed them to get a bonus point by scoring four tries. Like that's just for me. I you know I, I agree with you, Jez. I think that the um, the coaching team will be giving them a bit of the hair dry treatment tomorrow when they come back in and saying, "Come on, guys, that we 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 didn't we didn't finish that off." Um, and it's it's a it is a real shame because so many players in that first half, and maybe you'd argue you know, the first fifty minutes or so, just really did have st- stellar performances. I actually thought a, a player that didn't seem well didn't get mentioned around um you know the ground and afterwards maybe he did a bit more on telly i thought alex good rolled back the years um and was really instrumental in that first half to dictating the play and just just highlights what a what absolutely fantastic player that he still is and continues to be and i i hope he continues to roll back the years and has a couple more seasons left in him to be quite honest with you cuz number 10 is a real problem uh, position for us um and if we lose fast we haven't really got a lot else and um so that was really pleasing for me to see Goody have such a such a great game, and I think he even chipped in with a fifty twenty two at some point, didn't he? So, um, for, oh, he's, if, he's if 50, I remember rightly, <laughs> yeah, he's fifty twenty two with something something else, and I think a lot of that comes from first half. The um, Saracens pack was so on top with Ivan Van Zyl delivering ball at warp factor six, and Goody with a cigar and a brandy in an armchair, having the time of his life first half, I think. Is that your perception, John? It was, yeah. I mean, that the first half, some of that, some of the rugby that we played, and like like you just touched on the speed of it as well. If you look at Alex Lozovsky's try, the first try of the game, that was brought about because of our slow day reset. And yeah. that, when when we when it was out, out, on our side, there was no time for them. And it was such a, how can I put it? It the, the speed at which everything happened and being four tries up in twenty five minutes was, it was just, just took everyone by surprise. I think. And then we spent about twenty five minutes from I think they scored their last points in the game in the fifty sixth minute, and we spent the last twenty four minutes of the game on the verge of implosion because if we'd have conceded again, there would have been some squeaky squeaky bums knocking about. And then yeah, to finally just finish it off at the end was, you know, we're through now. Hopefully we'll get the points that we need to secure a home round of 16 game and we can look forward to some more European nights. I don't know about, I don't know if Sam would fancy another eight o'clock on a Saturday, but I feel we get another another few uh, European nights in before the end of the season. Well, absolutely, yeah. And, and looking forward to that. What was interesting on commentary on the television, um, 
the commentary team was Ali Eakin, um, Ben Kay, you know, who, who, uh, a bit like Lawrence Aladio, any, any, anything that, um, any uh, compliments that go Saracen's way very much with gritted teeth. But one of the very best in the business at the moment is Topsy Ojo, who I definitely rate very highly. And the way that he highlighted Alex Lewowski's try there, in so much as Alex read it beautifully, but it all came from Maku Vunapola getting himself into a ruck and legally slowing it down so that Alex could read it. And if Alex had missed missed the interception or whatever, then there wouldn't have been a problem because the defence was coming over. A couple of small things. I will say Max Malins will not want to watch uh, De Martin. Was it De Martin? The, the fullbacks try where he gave him 10 yards on the outside of him. Wingers, you don't do that. You do not give, give a bloke coming onto the ball the outside like that. You 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 try and force him to go back into uh, your outside centre that's coming across. Uh, he won't want to look at that one. And, uh, and I know that uh, Matt's been quite... Um, uh, I'm not going to say unkind to, but he, uh, Ali Davis coming on, there was a definite drop in quality there at Scrum Half, in particular with the accuracy of the box kicks, which is a shame because Ali, you know, our player of the year last year. So hopefully that's something that, you know, he's only coming back from injury. Let's see where it goes. The other big news this week, though, um, a big signing and a, a signing I'm really, really happy with. I'm really infused to see see this. Tom Willis coming to the club, been at Wasps, gone over to France, coming back here. Uh, that's a huge signing for us. He's a big, big player, um, possibly less injury prone than his brother, who's the one who's perhaps a little bit ahead of him. But a big signing possibly means, is this the end of Billy Villapola or is Billy going to go off and get his big paycheck, which he thoroughly deserves? You know, Billy's hitting 30 now. He's not the future. Jack, uh, sorry, Tom, 24 years old. Definitely is the future. In a back row with Andy Christie and or Theo McFarland and Burnell. That's going to be pulling up some trees next season, isn't it, Sam? Yeah, a very exciting signing. Um, and yeah, you're right. You know, do we have to make room in, in, in this squad? And actually... You know, I was talking to talking to people before the game yesterday, and we, we were talking about the salary cap, and you know, you know, you do. Unfortunately, at the moment, you sometimes have to get rid of players that you wouldn't normally want to get rid of. That might be sort of squad players that are really useful, um, and you know, some players that I mean, I know, I know they're not necessarily in the sort of the same um, same uh, sort of positions and stuff. But you also then have to take into account how available are players throughout the season, how injury prone are they? You know, we've got two players that I, I love watching play. But in reality, spend far too much time in the treatment room in um in uh, uh um bloody I've forgotten his name now, Ginger Prop. He's just completely lost lost Ralph. Him. Ralph, yeah. And um Dunk and Taylor. Dunk, Dunk the Hunt Taylor. Um yeah. you know, two fantastic players, but in reality, can we afford to keep them with a salary cut with the fact they don't play enough? And and the answer, unfortunately, I think is is no, we can't. Um, and especially when you're bringing in a player like like Tom, who, yeah, okay, uh, he probably isn't costing us as much as he might have done if we this last season uh, because of his, his situation, but but still he's going to take a, a little little chunk of that salary cap. So there's got to be some movement somewhere, but positives are great statement, great, great signing. I think he's got more potential than his brother. Um, I think he's more versatile, and I really think he fits into the mould of what we're looking at at Saracens in terms of he, he knows how to, how to, like you say, pull up some trees. He loves a turnover. And uh, and he's got a bit of speed on his side in terms of 
He likes to play the game at, at a decent pace, which clearly this season has been our big, big thing. Um, you know, ruck speed and, and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, great signing, great signing. If Billy's got to go, if it's his time, it's his time. I think Barry said it uh, a few weeks ago. We very rarely let players go that we end up regretting letting them go. Um, and even if it is somebody like Billy, you know, there, there is always a time when a player does then become not surplus to requirements, but, you know, not not the future anymore, as you say, Jez. So if it's Billy's time, it's Billy's time. But what a great player we've got in Tom. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, you, yeah, you look at you look at um, Tom coming in. It's very much when Billy came into to the club. Ernst Joubert was coming towards the end of his career. A fantastic number eight, one of the best number eights I've seen play in a black shirt. Um, but yeah, you know, it's time. Jack Berger was moving on as well, coming towards the end of his career. Yeah, you're right. And I think this is this is the interesting thing. I, I, I'll ask you your opinion on this, John. Saracens are clever. Nick Kennedy is the top recruiter in in the leagues, I believe. Mark McCall knows what he wants and what players he wants, and he tells Nick, and Nick goes out and gets them, the type of players. Other clubs, and I, this is going to sound a bit of an Exeter Chiefs bashing session here, but other clubs, and we mentioned this before, have kind of slept-walked into a situation. Now, you know, everybody's turned around and said, well, how do, how do Saracens afford Tom Willis? They must be over the salary cap. No, we've explained what's going to happen. We believe that they will be, you know, contracts are coming in, whatever. Exeter Chiefs, apparently this season, have been under £5 million. Yet they're losing Stuart Hogg, Luke Cowan-Dickey, Jack Noel, you know, lots of players that supposedly are under the salary cap this year, but aren't under the salary cap next year. You know, there's a question there that's going to be asked. And then you go a bit further up the M5 and along the M4 a bit to Bath, who seem to be throwing money around like it's confetti. And, you know, they'll sign Finn Russell, like he'll be their marquee player. But they've got, they were talking about Joe Marler. I mean, Joe Marler's not going to be on a, on a, on a, on top of Zanky a week, is he? You know, they're offering him a contract. There's something seriously wrong, wrong there. But yeah, Saracens have been always good at saying, right, okay, no player is bigger than the club. And I'll include Owen Farrell in this. And, you know, Brad Barrett was allowed to go. He could have had, perhaps had a season or more out of him. You know, there's always somebody coming through to take that place. John, how do you feel? Well, I think you summed it up perfectly, mate, when you, when you said that there's, you know, Nick Kennedy is the best at what he does. And the fact that we are, like like you said, we are, I can't remember one that we've regretted Lick let go and the thing is we always seem to have a there's a contingency plan and a continuation plan even if it comes to like letting people go on short-term things like Ben Earl or Max Maynard's went out alone Alex Good went out alone it gives up other players the opportunity to come in and play in the meantime and when you're when you're talking about losing the, the one that I've I, I was worried about missing was Vincent Cock we haven't yeah. Before that, George Cruz, all right, bit of a different situation. Tim Swinson comes in for a little while and was amazing for us. Love Tim Swinson. But when when it comes to these players who have been the cornerstone of what we've achieved over a long period of time and have been there a long time, you hope that it's the right personality, first of all, that can come in and perhaps do the same length, you know, or be there and care for the shirt as much as the player before that. And when, you, when you're talking about Billy Vanupola, one of the best ever. Love, I love Billy. 
But there comes a time, like you say, four broken arms, 30 years of age. If you if you keep hold of them too long, then then and you end up panicking into signing someone who, you know, if you do, if you hadn't have been keeping your arm, what was coming, you may miss out. It'd be the same perhaps with Tom Parton who's coming in next year. I know Sam said earlier he's rolling back the years, but Alex Good's 35. It's, it, it's coming. The end is is coming. Will come for for all of them. I do I do think that Mako and Billy will be gone at the end of this season, and I do trust the club wholeheartedly to go and pluck another. Theo McFarland or Tom Willis from somewhere and, and go, right, unfortunately, this is the, the, the circle of life. If you like for a rugby player, you're past 30. We need players who are going to come in and who are younger and are going to be there a while and end up performing to the same level. That's the thing. The players who can't, I can't remember one that was brought in for someone who we didn't really want to go, that hasn't hit the heights as well. It's not just about players regretting, us regretting people leaving. Brad Barrett goes, Nick Tompkins is unbelievable at 12. Unbelievable. Brilliant player. Never would have got the opportunity, perhaps. Would have gone back to Wales if Brad Barrett hadn't gone at the time he went. It's all about timing, mate. And I trust the club wholeheartedly to make the right decision. Absolutely. 100%. You're right there. And yeah, yeah, there are a few players. I mean, there are some players there who are in those that age group. And I'll say, you know, Goody's one. Baz is another. I'd say Jackson Ray's another. These are guys who are, you know, men in black through and through. We know full well that Mark McCall will give up being the head honcho at Saracens when Owen Farrell's ready to take over from him. You know, that's that's just going to happen. I mean, I'll call that now. And, you know, Owen Farrell will be leading England into the 2031 World Cup as head coach. I'll say that now. I'll go down the bookies and put a tenner on it. <laughs> I'm quite happy to do that. But, yeah, you know, Jackson Ray is going to have a reduced workload. He already has seen a reduced workload. But you could see him being part of the club going forward, whether that be on-field or off-field, whether it be a business thing with the club or whatever. They'll look after him because he deserves to be looked after in the same way Goody is and everything like that. You know, and, yes, we will bring through the players and we won't be panicking like other clubs seem to be. And having to, you know, pluck Carlos kickerballs out from wherever to to make up the shortfall on it. Hi guys, I'm Alex Lewington and I'm a proud Loose Heads Ambassador. I'm Sydney Gregson and I'm a Loose Heads Ambassador. We're a rugby mental health charity working to tackle the stigma. You can find us at Looseheads on all social media channels or at looseheads.co.uk. The Looseheads mission is to place a mental health lead at every rugby club. Get in touch now to find out more. Take care and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Enjoy the rest of the pod. This is the Fezcast. Obviously, we recorded all of that on Sunday that you've heard. And um, Monday morning, of course, we didn't really think about it. Lack of professionalism, as ever. Uh, of course, Steve Borfick announced his squad. So me and Matt have jumped on and we're going to sort of like surpass what we've done and have a quick chat. First of all, well, hi, Matt. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm good, mate. Yeah, I've, I've got the advantage of, um, well, I was going to say knowing what I'm talking about. That I mean, that's a rare thing, isn't it, really? But you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I suppose we best mention eight Saracens in the squad. Um, but first thing to mention, and we did talk about it through through the discussion Sam and John and myself had, uh, the big emissions, Billy Vinopola. Yeah. And and I've just seen uh, yeah, the normal the normal merchants pointing out what is probably a fairly obvious thing is that Billy's going to be a Sayonara or um, Au Revoir, possibly, sooner rather than later. Who knows? With Tom Willis coming, he's been looked over for England. And, you know, I mean, Billy's been in great form for us this year. But, you know, there is a profusion of back row talent out there, although I'm slightly confused by Sam Simmons still getting in there. But I... You know, that's just one of those things. It, it was either going to be Sam Simmons or Billy Vinopino, wasn't it? And obviously, Orthwick's bump with Sam Simmons. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, and I think, give it a year's time, and he'll be looking at Zach Mercer in there as well. So um, there's there's plenty of talent out there. And I think, yeah, we, we've got to the point where Billy is in great form for us. He has to play in a slightly different way for England. And it's, you know, he's not... There, there was a time for England when he was almost the first name on the team sheet and I think we've we've had for a little while I mean he was he was dropped previously under Eddie for a little bit um and yeah he's he's been fighting for his place in the squad and it, it isn't massively surprising that he's uh, he's been omitted this time round so whether that means the um the potential move to uh, to France or whatever could be happening I don't know because you know Joe Joe Marchant is is off to supposed to be off to, off to France as well and he's in the squad so that's not a reason to drop him but who knows yeah, absolutely. I suppose so. The big surprise, though, is Big Brother Mako um, getting in. Or, oh, well, for the keyboard warriors out there, they're, they're <laughs> incredulous, shall we say, that he's got back in there. But you've um, unearthed some information about why there weren't perhaps as many wholesale changes in the England squad as perhaps we were expecting. Well, yeah, I mean, I can't claim the credit, to be honest. It's something that a few people have um, have picked up on, but... Um, the uh, Prem Rugby News Twitter account, um, run pretty well by uh, by a young lad, um, has sort of dug into how the inner workings of uh, of the RF RFUs put together, which um, is no mean feat, obviously. So yeah, well done to uh, to Tom Grantham. But the um, the England EPS Elite Performance Squad that gets picked um, every year, you're not allowed to make too many changes to it. Um, it's done so that teams can prepare for the start of the season as best as they can, knowing roughly who's going to be selected in an England squad over the course of the year, um, so they can plan for, the, for their salary cap as well. Um, and Steve Borthwick, even though this this year's performance squad was picked by Eddie Jones, Steve Borthwick was only allowed to make five changes to it, allegedly. Um, so there were never going to be wholesale changes to uh, to Eddie's approach, but there was going to be enough. And there's there's players, the likes of Valra Pavaruskin, who's one of the form players this season. It wasn't a priority for, for Borthwick to change in that position, whereas in some others it probably was. So, you know, people calling for there to be 10, 12 changes, it, it wasn't allowed to happen with, with some good reasons. But, you know, we could talk for hours about how that system works between the RFU and PRL, but let's not. Well, absolutely. Well, let's talk about the um, the players from Saracens who have got in. Jamie George, yeah, he's the preeminent hooker around at the moment. It would have been a huge surprise if they were going to go into the Six Nations without at least one experienced hooker in the squad. Um, you know, George McGuigan is 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 up there. He's uncapped as a as a uh, 
as a hooker, and who's the other hooker in the uh, in the squads? Uh, yes, we've got Jamie George, George McGuigan, and Jack Walker. Jack Walker. So yeah, George McGuigan and Jack Walker both uncapped. So yeah, Jamie George straight in there, no problem at all. Um, Nick Azikwi, Amaro Atoji from second row, going to leave us a little bit short in the second row in the Six Nations period. Poor all you desired's going to be, yeah. <laughs> Perhaps backing down with a, with a back rower, I don't know. But. Yeah, I think I'm practising my uh, my dirty dancing technique just to see if I need a little jump up in the line-out. But. Indeed. And of course, um, in, in the backs, Ben Earl, sorry, in the forwards, Ben Earl's got in, which, you know, if Ben Earl hadn't have got in, I think there would have been absolute ructions all over the place. So, yeah, well done to, to Ben for that. Yeah, and then, of course, in the backs, Max Malins, um Elliot Daly and the skipper, Owen Farrell, which has boiled a bit of pee on um, Twitter and social medias, you know. But the guy's got 101 caps for England. He's a, a club captain. He's a leader. You listen to what Will Hooley had to say about him as a leader in our podcast last week. It's a no-brainer there. And Ellis Genge is a vice-captain. Yeah, fair dues. And Courtney Norris vice-captain. Ideal, brilliant. You know, I can't disagree with that, can you? No. Um, and, you know, that's three international coaches, his club-level coach, and and during the Lions as well, and they've all seen him as as being a leader. So um, they clearly are all wrong, and Jim Bob 258 on Twitter is uh, is obviously right. I mean, Farrell shouldn't be in the England squad and, and should be dead in a ditch somewhere, I don't know. Very strange. Well, um, it was quite funny. I did. I did reply to the guy who who uh, commented on the first cast Twitter where you put out about um, Owen Farrell, and you made that comment about Jim Bob twenty seven rush um, via Russia making the comments, and he came back with the whole thing about you know uh, proving the point number one, and then saying something along the lines of Farrell being a liability, being nowhere near as good a captain as Sam Warburton, and I. Did reply and point out that um, is that the same Sam Warburton who cost his side a World Cup final place by getting sent off for an illegal tackle in the World Cup semi final? Yeah, I mean, there's there's better examples he could have given, really. But there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't remember Paul O'Connell for argument's sake. You know, that would have been a better one. Even Alan Wynne Jones, but yeah, uh, well, you know, everybody's got an opinion. They like bottoms, aren't they? <laughs> well, yeah, I must admit, personally, I'm I'm a little bit. I'm not always a fan of your fly half being your captain as well. Um, I think he's got enough. Um, are we going to use the phrase again? He's got enough weight on his shoulders. Um, but uh, yeah, he's he's definitely worth his place, and he, he's a leader on and off the pitch. Um, whether you like him or not, and plenty of people don't like him. I must admit, I think if he was having a conversation with me, I'd be pretty scared of him. But clearly. He's uh, he's a good person to have in that team. And Steve Borthwick summed it up in pretty simple terms, didn't he? The players respect him, he respects him, end of story. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the one thing I do like about Steve Borthwick as a coach is I don't think he's going to be like Eddie Jones and throwing the hand grenades out there, uh, trying to get a rise. He's just going to put a team out on that pitch, prepared, ready to put bodies on the line and ready to, you know, to win games. I think his comments he's made today are absolutely brilliant. And it's a breath of fresh air that people like him and Andy Farrell and Gregor Townsend in the international game, they don't get involved in this trying to score points. Leave that to Razzie and Warren and, and Eddie, who obviously now is the Australian coach. <laughs> 
This is really interesting. I saw a comment now. It says, I'm waiting for Eddie now to ring Louis Liner up and point out that England probably wasn't the best option for him and that he should be playing for Australia. That'd be interesting, <laughs> interesting wouldn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I would, do you know what? I'm actually quite scared now for the World Cup because the only thing that I think Eddie Jones has, has got going for him is that he's a very good short-term appointment. So he might, you know, this, this Australia team has, has very quietly um, been turning themselves around a little bit and they've been doing all right this year and Eddie Jones might just give them that little bit extra. We could end up playing him in the World Cup. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't want to. Well, yeah, I get that. But the one thing I will say about Eddie Jones is uh, quite simply that we've already talked about the, uh, you know, the the great talent we've got on both sides of the front row in the scrum. And yet he couldn't coach them to to get parity against South Africa. I'm afraid to say that he has no props in Australia who can who can scrummage. So if he can't coach scrummages to scrummage, He's not going to coach the likes of Scott Seo to scrummage. That's a certain. <laughs> no, that's fair play. But yeah, anyway, let's not talk about Eddie. We've got, got nothing on him. What do you, what do you think of, uh, you know, the, the fact that he's made five changes or been able to make five changes means there's a couple of players in this squad that I think a few of us think may be a little bit lucky. But, you know, how, how are they going to feel really knowing that they're, potentially only in that squad because he can't get rid of them. I think that's the only thing I, I have a little bit of a concern with with this this performance squad thing. Well, there's, there's two ways of looking at it if you are that player, and I'm looking at you, Johnny Hill. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, and there are a couple of others there who who, who perhaps are. Uh, Carl Sinclair's another one. You know, he's brought back Dan Cole, 35 years old, because obviously he feels there is a bit of an issue on the tight head. Um, these are players, you know, who are looking at what they, you know, they can react in one of two ways. They can either react in the way of of going into their shell and thinking, "Well, I'm only here through luck," and in which case, if that is that, if that's their attitude to it, then they deserve the next opportunity that Borthwick has to to get rid of them. Then they'll go, and they'll deserve to go because they'll they won't respond to that. Or they can look at it and say, right, okay, this is the kick at the backside I need. Like Billy Vinopolad when he got dropped that time before and came back and said, right, okay. So Johnny Hill could easily play and he could either go into himself and just be the penalty machine we know he is, in which case perhaps his international career will be over when Borthwick can make that change, or he'll step up to the plate. And if he steps up to the plate, good luck to the lad. It's it very much the ball is in their court now. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, when you, when you look at that second row as well, you've got Chesham, Hill, Ezekwe, Atoji. All four of them are going to have a part to play over the Six Nations. I, you know, I can't see one of those even being let go, to be honest. I mean, the only one that you potentially could is, is Ezekwe, and, and that would be him saying that um, all three of Chesham, Hill and Itoji are going to play second row, and there's not going to be some, some mucking around and one of them sitting at six, but... Yeah, it's um, it's going to be quite interesting. Um, I want to see how Steve Borthwick gets his players to play because, to be fair, he's not had, well, he's not really had any time with them, has he? So it's going to be difficult to really stamp his mark on um, on this Six Nations, possibly. So, I'm but as I said, to it. oh yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think he has got a bit of a free pass. Now the expectation is low, uh, but I've done my prediction game um, and 
I will, will, I will plug that again because we'll have lost, lost that because I plugged it right at the end. So if you do want to have a go in a Six Nations prediction game for a motor neuro, just email me at Six Nations Game, which is all lowercase, all letters, for the number MND at Outlook.com. And Matt, you'll put it up on Twitter, won't you? I'll put it up on, fa- on Facebook. Um, but yeah, I've looked at it and my predictions are that England should win their home matches and I think they'll beat Wales away, which will be... You know, the, the one game that they will struggle with is Ireland away. And I don't think there's any disgrace that if you go to Dublin and get beaten at the moment by a team that has done very well. So I think if England get three wins, that's okay. If they beat France at home, that's excellent. Um, and then you go to the last game with a puncher's chance of getting a grand slam. <laughs> so, you know, who knows? But... You know, I think that would be a good result. Three wins would be an excellent result. Win your home matches. Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd say so. Um, I mean, I'm still looking at France as um, as a win, to be honest. But then we know what France can do. They can be absolutely fantastic or they can just fold in half. But yeah, I, I think it's it's a pretty open tournament, really. Well, I think it's... Is it right in saying that... Um, and I'm going to have a quick look at me. Um, I've got a sheet here somewhere. Um, and say that... Yeah, so... England's last two games are France at home and Ireland away. So you're looking at saying you beat Scotland at home, you beat Italy at home, you beat Wales away. Three games, your confidence is up. And then you've got France at home and Ireland away. You know, that first game against Scotland, which will be a bit of a dogfight, is imperative. But if England come out of that with a victory and then got Italy and Wales who should be fighting for the wooden spoon this year. You know, we could be, there could be some momentum going our way. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, put the the Scotland's game to one side a little bit because that's almost the standalone match in itself these days, just just because of the ferocity that it's it's played out and the physicality that goes on. And then, yeah, you've got Italy and Wales, which, you know, Wales are going to be another um, interesting one, obviously with the changes that they've got. But, you know, if you... If you asked for two games to gather momentum for the last couple of rounds of the tournament, then it is Italy and Wales at the moment. So, yeah, I think that the fixtures fall as best for Steve Borth because as they possibly could, really. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, lots to look forward to, and I'm sure we'll have lots to discuss over that time. But in the meantime, let's wrap this one up here now and uh, over to you, Matt, to try and make some sense of the edit and everything. Yeah. Uh, enough said see this man thanks for listening everybody and uh, we'll say ta until next time bye everyone